0: i'm luke simmons and i'm seth trout and we are here to critique the hell out of culture
1: all right well welcome back to the king and culture podcast it's awesome to have you guys with us um seth great to see you this morning good to see you this morning you have a little less uh, pep in your step you just got
0: smoked by a workout i did get smoked you told me it
1: took you a minute and 37
0: seconds like how hard could that be you know as hard as you want to make it that's the, the thing i always tell myself in the gym is if it's hurting it's working so well there you go there you go
1: well if you can do something that just absolutely smokes you and it only took 137 seconds that's a pretty great workout it was less than 137 go? seconds.
0: It was a minute. Yeah, this, where's the seven minute it abs guy? When one you, minute and 37 seconds. Yeah,
1: like 90 second workout, here we go. Um, anyway, but it's great to see you. And uh, I know that this topic, this conversation is gonna just pep you right up. Oh yeah. You'll forget about all of that pain um, and uh, and that'll be good. So last time we talked about just the different ways that we learn that you know we need therapy, we need theology, but that really we learn relationally um, that you have to learn from people Today, we kind of want to talk about who, who can we learn from? Are there, are there limits to that? Um, is there wisdom around that? Who should we be learning from? So I'm curious kind of what, um, why is this significant? Why does it matter who we learn from?
0: Well, I think especially if we understand that we learn relationally, then the next question is if we're learning through people, then which people? And who's safe to learn from, who's not safe to learn from, who, who can you learn what from, what dangers are there, uh, a, a whole string of texts throughout the New Testament warn about false teachers, warn against being yoked to people who are not committed to Christ, warn against uh, these legitimate forms of danger, wolves coming, you know, to eat the sheep. And and so there's a legitimacy to semi-nervousness about who, what, when, where, and why should mm-hmm. I be learning from, not learning from, who do I enter into a relationship with knowing full well that every person I enter a relationship with is going to affect me somehow. And when is that a grid thing? When is that transformative? When is that deformative? When is that reformative? And how do we discern where to go, where not to go? And in particular, what can we learn from who and how does that make our, upro- make our approach to life? There's part, part of the huge tension right now is like this guilt by association or demonization that happens in political public discourse is we can't learn from that person because blank, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's this one a guy named Al Walters, who's a philologist, which is a language scholar. And he wrote this really long paper on the word "authenteo" in First Timothy two twelve. You know, which is, you know, about men's authority, women's authority. And he wrote this long paper. What does the word "authenteo" in Greek mean? And he's a number one philologist in the world, probably of he, all the philologists of all the word He's really origin good. peoples, and he wrote this. You know, fifteen sixteen. Page paper on what this single word means, okay. surveying all the Greek literature.
1: And that's a significant text in 1 Timothy 2 as yeah, it's it relates a big deal. to what we, you know, how we interpret that passage related to women and leadership and preaching and authority, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and people tend to not like where he landed because he landed in a pretty conservative position. Like authority means authority, it doesn't mean usurp authority, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember interacting with some people over that text, and they're like, Yeah, well, don't you know that Al Walters believes there might be extraterrestrials? <laughs> Aka, life on other planets, or
1: yeah, colloquially referred
0: to as aliens. Right? So,
1: not saying he does necessarily. Yeah, but that he is open to that possibility. Yeah,
0: and we're thinking like, what on the planet does that have to do with, with this, right? Yeah, like it's interacting with the paper. Here. And so that that's so that takes me back to my philosophy days hmm. at ASU and all these different fallacies. Like that's what's called an ad hominem. Okay. Right. You're not arguing with the argument you're arguing against the person. So mm-hmm. ad hominem means against the person. Okay. So it's like, you're not interacting with like the work he's done. You're saying, Oh yeah. Well, he believes the earth is flat. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, he believes your extraterrestrials. Oh yeah. Well, he, you know, gave $600 to prop something, something, something in 2007. Oh yeah. Well yeah. that person. And so there's kind of this, you attack the person. Well, don't you know that they like the Spurs, you know, and we can't, we hate the San Antonio Spurs. And so you can't really like anything they say. And, So you should attack the person rather than attacking the argument. And it's got me thinking a lot about how because we're such tribal people, meaning we belong to a people and we love the people we belong to, and it ends up being this our people versus those people thing, Mm -hmm. it inhibits our ability to listen to, learn from, interact with, uh, possibly challenging or confirming arguments that come from someone else. Like if someone writes something that we disagree with, it's easiest to attack the person. Oh, yeah, well, they're an atheist. So blank. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, well, they're... This, So I don't have to listen to him and rather than have to interact with that. And so that ad hominem attack, attack the person. It also makes me think about what they call the genetic fallacy, meaning because of where it came from, it's therefore false. Hmm. And so a lot of these like kind of secular logical fallacies interact, it's shaped the way that I think we, because we're tribalistic interact with competing ideas or uh, challenging ideas, whether they're competing or not. And so that's a lot of what has been on my mind lately.
1: Okay. So, um, when, it, when we think about who we can learn from, who we can hear from, I mean, ultimately what we're trying to do is grow in our maturity, um, discern God's voice. Um, there's some, I mean, when we read the scripture, we okay, that's God speaking. Um, we would be really, really, really hesitant if ever to grant that level of, oh, that was God speaking through you know someone else or through a book or through this or that, in a like literal way. But, but we would believe that there's things we can learn from. There's things God wants to trim, you know, uh, tidy us up on and grow us in um, from lots of different places, lots of different resources. We've titled this episode after a kind of an interesting place where <laughs> God speaks um, through Numbers 23. So tell us about that story.
0: Yeah, so Numbers 22 and 23 is a story of this pagan witch, basically, or whatever a male witch is. Witcher, wizard, 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 a <laughs> yeah, sorcerer, I guess would be the, there you go. the, uh, the term named Balaam. And, uh, basically Israel is beaten down on this group of people and this group of people goes like, man, we're getting smoked by Israel. Uh, we better call Balaam. Who's this really effective sorcerer to come and curse these people. And Balaam, ha- it's really interesting. Cause Balaam's like, I don't know if I want to curse those people. I- I'll only do what God tells me to do. And so it's like this tension if you have this like non-Jewish pagan sorcerer who's like kind of trying to submit to God, but clearly is not like part of God's covenant people, clearly would not be an Orthodox Jew, clearly is not submitting to the book of Moses in any capacity, yeah. right? But he kind of has this general fear of God, and he's a sorcerer, which the scriptures repeatedly condemn and confront sorcerers. Sure. So he's, he's not in, but he's also kind of got this generalized nervousness about offending mm-hmm the Elohim, the God most high. And so uh, he kind of prays and he's like, no, I'm not cursing those people. God told me not to. And then the the people send rulers back to me again, like, please, please come curse the Israelites because we really need your help. And we were losing. And God then tells Balaam in a dream. So God is speaking to Balaam, despite having not converted Balaam and says like, so don't promise to curse him, but promise to like go with them. So okay. it's kind of like, you can go with these people and act like you can do it, but don't do anything unless They tell you to do it. And then at some point there's this angel that's blocking the path and Balaam's ass, which is the King James translation you know, <laughs> donkey would be the, not main. his not his backside, but yeah. his donkey. Yeah. He's not speaking out of his butt. It's that's, that's <laughs> the whole point here, but his donkey stops and Balaam just crushes his donkey. Like, what are you doing? Cause mm-hmm. Balaam can't see. He's like, this is part of the is revealing that despite Balaam, Being somewhat spiritual, he's still fundamentally, ultimately spiritually blind. And so uh, the donkey sees an angel blocking the path and won't go. And Balaam can't see the angel, and so he whips the donkey. Then it happens again, he whips the donkey. Then the donkey eventually sits down. And then it says, and God spoke through the donkey. Wow. And uh, so, one, you have God speaking to and through Balaam, who's the pagan sorcerer. And then you have God gave speech to the donkey. So God gives <laughs> the donkey a speech to give. And the donkey turns around to Balaam and says, What have I ever done to you that you'd beat me like this? <laughs>
1: that's, that's the uh, message. This is like a Disney movie. Yeah. Come and, to life.
0: And Balaam, because he's a sorcerer, probably is like, doesn't, doesn't go like, Why is this donkey talking? He goes, uh, good question. You know, so, <laughs> and he goes, "You've been playing games with me." He just responds to this donkey, and so this is to me just just to pause for a second. When people say the
1: Bible's boring, I go, "Like you're not reading the right stuff, man. This is wild."
0: Yeah, and and so, Balaam uh, says, "You've been playing games with me." This is uh, Numbers twenty two, twenty nine, um, the the donkey in verse thirty says, "I'm your trusty donkey. You've ridden me for years until now. I've never been stubborn like this, have I?" And Balaam's like, "No, okay." Go ahead. And so. Then all of a sudden God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel and then basically goes back to this happening where uh, God then through Balaam tells these the Moabites who are getting crushed, I think it's Moabites, getting crushed by Israel, basically says, I'm not cursing the ones whom God has blessed. Hmm. And Balaam goes back. Okay. So it's basically like, essentially there's this huge back and forth. They go get the sorcerer. The sorcerer goes to the leaders of the pagan nation and goes, look, I know you want me to curse God's, Yahweh's people. Mm-hmm. I know you want me to curse Israelites, but good luck getting me to do it. That's playing with fire. And he just is like, see you guys later. Yeah. And so there's a number of things here when it comes to one who God can and does choose to speak through two, the qualification of who God's allowed to speak through. And, and even just when I think about my own self, my own sinfulness, my own responsibility to communicate God's word on a regular basis mm-hmm. and how you can be tempted to feel like you're special hmm. in this situation. Like, uh, Oh, I'm saying what God says, therefore I'm special or I'm superior. And then there's a humbling aspect of this that like God can speak through Balaam's ass. So don't be impressed that he can speak through you. It's that yeah, that sure. I feel confronted by, mm-hmm. but you have pagan nations, pagan leaders, pagan leaders, animals that like God. So the, part of the the thrust of the story is God will protect Israel from being cursed by the nations, one, two, God is sovereign over the pagan spiritualities of competing religions, two, three, God can use any means He wants to communicate encouragement or discouragement to his people, yeah, and so whether it's a donkey or a sorcerer, there's that going on now, look, they're not making Balaam a priest in Israel, <laughs> sure, they're not anointing the donkey and saying, "You are now the leader of the Levitical process, yeah, but there's this uh that Moses, at least when he 's writing the Pentateuch, goes here's a legitimate story of God speaking through these means. Right. Uh, Now
1: I could hear someone go, well, okay, well, so God can do that, but he ordinarily doesn't. And we do tend to focus on the ordinary means of God's grace rather than the extraordinary means of God's grace. And so just because he can use a sorcerer to, you know, communicate his word doesn't mean we should go find every sorcerer we can and listen to them. Right. So, so I, I guess that's kind of what we're going is like, Uh, So maybe just straight out of the gate, are there people that you would go, I can't learn from them, or, or I won't learn from them?
0: No, and I think that that's part of the thrust of this, is Balaam is as far from commitment to Yahweh as you could possibly get. He is a pagan sorcerer. Everything he ordinarily stands for and is about is contrary to Yahweh. Like if you think about the Ten Commandments, have no other God before me, broken, number two, don't take the Lord's name in vain, I think that's number two. Maybe it was number three. Balaam, he's a sorcerer. He's taking the Lord's name in vain all the yeah. time. That's his whole deal. It's sure. using God to get what he wants. That's what sorcerers do. And so he's, and trickle on down, you know, we don't know about his, if he obeyed his parents or not, or mm-hmm. if he steals, but we know that he breaks the first couple of ones, which are the biggest ones that lead to the other ones. So I'd presume he breaks all the other ones. So he's totally, absolutely, not just by chance, but by conviction against God's instruction.
1: So you're saying here, like, just as a Principle, you're going. There's nobody I can't learn from.
0: No, there's nobody I can't learn something from. So I think part of even what I would call epistemic maturity, or the ability, to like, be a clear thinker, one who knows things, is going. I can learn something from anybody. Okay. So whether, th- that, whether that person's two years old, two hundred years old. I mean, maybe not two hundred years old, because then you're probably just need to see a psychiatrist if you're talking <laughs> to two hundred people. Yeah. But there's there's something to be learned from. Everybody has something to teach you about something. That's not to say that you submit to people on these things. Like there's a reason why we have elders and church history and theologians. And
1: sure. So, um, you can learn something from everybody. How do you discern? Here's what I can learn from them. Here's the limit of what I can learn from them. Here's what I sh- cannot or should not try to learn from them. Um, Right, there's, and there's even different approaches there. There's like, well, do I go ahead and he- listen to them and just filter it out, kind of eat the fish, spit out the bones? Or do I go, you know what, this is, in this particular area, for these reasons, it's so unhelpful or it's so dangerous that, you know what, I'm not even going to go through that process. I'm just going to not listen.
0: Yeah, I think that getting to the root of even just different areas. And so considering the different areas where we're really fast to learn from Pagans or non-Christians are people who are fundamentally against the things of God. Uh, so, like, there are certain places that I think most most Christians would be immediately able to learn from them, right? So, if you have a non-Christian teaching grammar, or if you have a non-Christian who makes Tylenol and you have a headache, sure, right? Or if you have uh, a car you get in and drive that's not, you know, I don't think Ford's a Christian company as right. far as I know. Uh, these chairs are sitting on, you know, like I, I trust in the creation of things. And and a huge chunk of that is just rooted in the idea that we call common grace, which is the, the New Testament text where it talks about how God makes the sunshine and the rainfall and the just and the unjust, mm-hmm. meaning there's this general providence that God has for all people. And uh, because all people are made in the image of God, regardless of their connection to God, they're still able to participate in the creation mandate. So what Adam was called to do, Adam and Eve were called to do, that they would be fruitful and multiply, so do and have dominion. There's a reason non Christians can still have kids, fruitful multiply. Sure. There's a reason non Christians can plow fields and make stuff that's mm-hmm. quality and connected. And that's because as image bearers they're still participating in the creation mandate. And so there's the ability to steward, cultivate, and do those various types of things. And so even like the scientific process of test, observe, repeat. Yeah. Hypothesize, test, observe, repeat, et cetera.
1: What about when we start getting into more issues related to God or issues related to view of the world or truth or you know, what what can we learn from different kinds of people there.
0: Well, this is what's crazy about this Numbers twenty two text is Balaam, like the main thing about him that we know is that he's a sorcerer and he's saying true things about, hey, you should not try to curse the people that God has blessed. And he's like kind of functioning as a pseudo prophet to this nation that's battling against Israel, right? Mm -hmm. He's saying true things about spiritual things mm-hmm. despite his heart being not in submission to Yahweh. So there's kind of this at a distance reality here. Right. And so
1: So is that saying if uh if people agree with what we think, it doesn't matter what else they think, we should listen to them?
0: It's not even a matter of agreement, but I think about angle, like perspective. Like I when I talk to my non Christian friends, first of all, they're non Christians. So they disagree with me about the things of God, like sure. whether it's the authority of scripture or the resurrection of Jesus or Christian vision for sexual ethics or uh, life after death, life after life, after death, whatever it is, they, they already disagree with that. Uh, but like, I can think about how like someone who's not a Christian can say something like this happened just a couple weeks ago. Well, I think that God loves all of us just as we are. Mm-hmm. And there's an element of that, which is just hundred percent true. And there's an element of like, depending on how you apply that, you're kind of missing the mark. Sure. Right? And and I can learn about their perspective on Christianity, mm-hmm. even if I'm not necessarily learning about Christianity from them. Okay. So some of it is just recognizing that I can learn about how different people approach spirituality, how different people approach religion. I can learn about their internal process, their childhood traumas, their spiritual traumas, their growing up in this or growing up under that. And I can see the way that they, uh, like their internal resistance, their rational resistance, their emotional resistance, their relational resistance to the things of God and I can learn about them I can learn about them from them mm-hmm. and that's the main thing that I think we need to be able to recognize is even you look at Balaam in numbers 22 and 23 is kind of a bit of a window into Balaam's thought process and you hear about his thought process and he's not a crazy person yeah he's not walking around uh connecting dots that don't need to be connected like he's there's a there's a a rational process. He's going, hey, if the God of the universe has blessed these people, I should not curse them. Like yeah. there's, there's so a, so, so, so re- I guess there's reasonableness, even though there's not agreeableness to related to God.
1: So what has to happen for you to start to go? Um, yeah, I'm just not going to listen to this person in this area, or I'll listen to them. You know, I'll read their stuff. I mean, like I'm thinking about there there's relationships, right? Like if there's real relationships in like in real life. You know, my hope is we're not going, you're stupid. I'm not going to spend any time with you, right? That just love for people we have relationship with dictates that we're going to spend time with, we're going to listen, we're going to ask questions, we're going to relate. But if you're starting to go, okay, what YouTube videos am I going to watch? What podcasts am I going to listen to? What books am I going to read? What uh, radio shows am I going to tune into? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to learn from these, you know, in these disembodied, not relationships, but I'm still learning from these people. Um, where do you start to go eh not gonna read that not gonna listen to them not gonna put much weight behind what they're talking about like you could learn from anyone but that doesn't mean you should probably learn from everyone in the same way or the same thing so how do you how do you kind of apply that for you where you're at now and then a little bit i want to talk about what would you tell someone who's like just kind of doesn't have all the kind of uh uh, epistemological experience that you have and philosophy degrees and et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. One of the texts that comes to mind is Isaiah one eighteen, 18 where, where uh, he's speaking to Israel says, come let us reason together that the way that God has entrusted the scriptures to his people, right? There's always been this culture of there's God's people and they collectively submit to the spirit uh, preeminently by means of submitting to the scriptures and interpreting them together over time. And mm-hmm. so this communal historical people of God that have been interpreting and submitting to the scriptures for a very long time. And so uh, we're kind of foolish. if We think that sola scriptura as a process means a person by themselves reading the Bible is the only thing, but we're always reading the context of a people that God has brought together. Like we're not individuals who read the Bible, but we're actually um, a people connected to God who are interpreting and applying the Bible and submitting to it together. And Mm so, the first thing I'd say has to happen is there has to be this like kind of anchored communal conviction or connection to God's people who are going to help us understand like the central core tenets of the faith and reason them together. And so it's not just me watching YouTube videos evaluating for myself, but it's actually me reasoning together with God's people through a variety of things. And so that, so that's a communal relational process. So even if I'm reading a book by say like Richard Dawkins and I'm going to read the God delusion by Richard Dawkins, And which is a book that is explicitly hostile to the faith, right? So whereas Balaam was not explicitly hostile to Yahweh, he was just a pagan and Mm -hmm. he kind of had some respect for Yahweh distance. You know, Richard Dawkins hates Christians, Christianity, and I think he hates people who propagate Christianity because he thinks they're oppressing people, whatever. If I'm going to go, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to learn some stuff from it. I don't want to just read it and have an emotional reaction on every single page, but I want to read it and go like, what valid critiques does he have that might help me? Like that's something that we do in community together as Mm -hmm. a church going, holding tight fisted to like the apostles creed to the authority of scriptures, but even being open to possible reevaluation, right? So when Galileo comes along and says, Hey, the, actually the sun does not revolve around the earth, maybe. And, but people have for about a thousand years been misinterpreting the Bible. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of like possibility that maybe we have misinterpreted the Bible and maybe like the anthropocentric, poetic process that says the sun goes up and goes down. When in reality, the earth goes around the sun. We have room for that. We can reinterpret this, understand it more broadly. And so here we have a scientist challenging normative interpretations. And so the church doesn't go like the the way the Catholic church responded was no, we have perfectly interpreted this. You're a heretic, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I think a healthy approach of going is just like scientists regularly misinterpret the data. So also Christians are Liable, or maybe not liable is the wrong word. A vulnerable to misinterpreting the scriptures, and so there's an aspect where you go like, "Have we rightly divided the word on this?" Yeah. Okay, let's go back to drawing board and check it out, and we might come back and go like, "Yeah, we have." And so, over time, will the science will show itself to be misconstrued or something like that. And so, so I think that kind of anchoredness to the people of God and an ability to reason together with people over time is part of that process. And I think one of the biggest things emotionally that we need to recognize is another one of the fallacies that they teach you in philosophy is called ad populum, which means basically uh, r- reasoning by popularity. Okay. Right. This is a huge part. There's like this Netflix series called Black Mirror, which is uh, a lot to take in. So <laughs>
1: I've heard it's pretty disturbing.
0: It's extremely disturbing. But the whole first episode is supremely disturbing. And a lot of it is just talking about what happens when public opinion actually rules the day and just how much people get tossed to and fro by what's in what's out what's okay what's not okay uh and the things that you know i think about even like on sexuality you have lady gaga writing the song born this way and they're like dogmatically beating their fists against the table saying like we're born this way how dare you like reject our lgbtq-ness because we were born this way Mm -hmm. and then just 10 years later you have most of the LGBs, like propagating more of like a gender, not a gender, a sexual fluidity mm-hmm. going like, ah, you know, we have free will and we can make choices and our choices affect our neuroplastic process. And so, you know, there's a lot of nature, but there's also the nurture. Yeah. And so, right, sure. so just going like, even like what, or what constitutes orthodoxy within sexual minority groups changes over the course of five to six years. And, and sure. if you thought something eight years ago, and you didn't think it, then you were super canceled. Now, if you still think that, you're super canceled. And so you just can sometimes like the folly of these things reveal itself over time, hmm. whereas a Christian ethic reveals itself as wise over time. Yeah. I think that's true on a lot of these things. It makes me think also about things like uh, lobotomies, mm-hmm. which seemed like a great idea at the time. Right. And then turns out not a great idea. And it took a whole bunch of lawsuits for people to stop doing it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you mean just radically surgically inter- intervening on people is. Maybe not what God intended. yeah. And so, sure. so there's just wisdom, some of the stuff that the wisdom reveals itself over time.
1: Yeah. Are there any other fallacies that you think of related to this?
0: Uh, the biggest ones are that genetic fallacy because where it came from, it's therefore false. You know, which if if that was the case then you'd never listen to Balaam, you'd certainly never listen to Balaam's ass. The second one is that ad hominem, just attacking the person, not attacking the argument.
1: So uh, I I want to kind of follow up on that one, I think, is like, is there some place to go like, you know what? That person's a terrible human being. They, they're they cruel. They're abusive. They're uh, racist. They're yeah. whatever. I mean, pick your, like, whatever your, like, worst thing is. And, like, when you go, it's, like, demonstrably true. Like, do, does that at any point make you go, like, yeah, we
0: shouldn't listen to them anymore? Yeah. Yeah, so I think this has a lot to do with genre, right? So Michel Foucault, the great deconstructionist, Couple of really impactful books on on the history of sexuality, and a lot of postmodern queer theories related to sexuality kind of regard Michel Foucault as like the the basically the Moses of the faith. Like we'd go Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob mm-hmm. in Christianity, and postmodern queer theorists would go like Michel Foucault and Judith Butler, those type of people. Um, Michel Foucault was a huge advocate for like, hey, all sexual expression is normative and fine. Society represses us, and therefore we act out. Yada yada yada. Anyway, he was a pedophile and came out over time. Like, oh, that explains some of his theories, theorization. and so Yeah, this- but I
1: even I think like, you know, five years ago, I would see lots of Christians post lots of videos of Ravi Zacharias. You know, look at his answer related to this, right? Ravi was this apologetics guy who, you know, would spend a lot of time in conversation, answering questions, debating, et cetera, with, with uh, skeptics and, Defending the faith, right? And you'd see a lot of... No one's posting Ravi Zacharias videos anymore because it came out that Ravi Zacharias was like a sexual manipulator who took advantage of lots of people and all these massage parlors he owned and all that came out after his death. But there is a sense in which you go like, well, can I? I mean, (laughs) okay, he's making a cosmological argument about the existence of God. That's still... His argument's still good. Well, I think this is... But should I listen to a guy who's like living such a double life, who's, you know, seems to have been potentially in some kind of big unrepentant sin, like how do, like that feels like, well, that's just ad hominem. It's like,
0: yeah, but like. Well, part of it is, so what ad hominem would be is because he was sinner in this direction, therefore what he says over here is false. Like you're not interacting with his arguments. Like you go, okay, Rabbi Zacharias made this compelling argument for the existence of God, but because he was a sexual sinner, God doesn't exist, and we can't really listen to his argument over there. So there's this is I think the difference between like following someone and learning from someone, Mm. right? Like I can still learn. That feels
1: like an important distinction.
0: Yeah, who who am I choosing to go? You know, when I grow up, I hope to feel like, be like, think like, act like, walk like, talk like this person. And that's ideally what elders and shepherds are in local churches. What like uh, what deacons are? Those types of things is Mm -hmm. people who are. exemplary and not necessarily they're sinless but if they were they're sinful they're repentant and they're mm-hmm. modeling things and versus like a rabbi zacharias you go like i can read his book 100 Qu- protests against christianity and read it and yeah he's good just like i could read michelle foucault but part of it the difference is you see the connectedness to some of these things sure right
1: well so like i mean i'd, I'd be curious just what kind of rubber meets the road, at least in my world, right? We uh, are preaching in Colossians. We just, we have this Colossians study guide. Um, And it's basically updated a little bit from when I preached Colossians 10 years ago, right? I had written a study guide related to that. Uh, I slightly edited this one and, you know, we're essentially repurposing it for our current series. And in the end of each, you know, study is like, you know, little short mini articles. Well, a few of the articles in the first edition uh, were written by Mark Driscoll. Uh, Mm -hmm. from Marshall Church, which has collapsed. And, you know, I guess a lot of people listening to this or at least familiar with that name. And it was like, I reread the articles that were in there. And they actually were about marriage. And they were great. They're really good content. Like, I didn't disagree with anything in those. But it's like, I can't include that anymore. So I went and found other articles that were just as good by people whose junk everybody doesn't know um and least, i and i'm like, not even trying to compare it that. right yeah. um because i you know so was i was that dumb was i just going like hey man look, leave, you, leave balaam's ass articles in there like you don't need to
0: look, you know you're, you're complicit in cancel culture man
1: uh, yeah <laughs> so, i guess i am right yeah. and it's like was that now i feel like well that was a wise move because mark driscoll's an unhelpful distraction
0: well i think that i think but it's also difference. like
1: going well Should we just go, hey, who you are doesn't matter. Just learn from people. Don't follow them.
0: Yeah, I think this is the difference between even when it comes to like pastors footnoting or introducing people to people, you're kind of saying like, hey, this is someone that I'm following and you could follow them too. Like I think that when I tend to quote people in that context, like here's a marriage article by person, Mm -hmm. right? I tend to say like, trust them with your household functioning, right? Like Mm listen to them be like, be like them. There's an aspect of that that's going on. Like when I think, uh, in preaching or, or whatever it is, like depending on what you're talking about, there's a level of endorsement, not just citation. It mm-hmm. comes with some of those things. And I think, especially when someone is still putting themselves up as like a shepherd over people and you're and like over time, you're and stuff, like, actually, I don't think it's healthy. I don't want people to be shepherded by that person. I think that's uh, important. And I think that's that distinction can get fuzzy for people. And I think as a pastor, there's responsibility Mm -hmm. thinking about who I'm introducing people to or not, and to what degree they're doing these various things. And so I would have done the same thing. I would have taken that out partially because there's other people who, like you said, wrote articles just as good and aren't as morally complicated, or at least Mm -hmm. not publicly. Yeah. And, and working through some of that stuff. But I think, but like,
1: is it like, Hey, you know what? I mean, like I think about some of the, books and ministry and leadership and theology that Driscoll wrote. And some of them now they're all tied up with plagiarism and they're all tied up with, well, what about this leadership failure and that leadership failure? And it's like, well,
0: can I learn from someone that failed? Yeah. Well, I think that's a great example of like, you know, we're launching this 4 p.m. service in July. Uh And one of the things that you did that a couple of other folks are doing is, you know, Mark Driscoll's church has a banging Saturday night thing going on Uh and you're going, okay, well, What can I learn from him on, and what should I not learn from him on? I'm not going to listen to him on church leadership and on caring for people and on shepherding and on how to build a healthy church and on. There's a long list of things I'm going like. I don't really learn want to learn from him on that, but there's other things I can learn from him on. Like I remember even talking to this non-Christian who used to go to Mars Hill Church in Seattle to go to study communication technique. Mm -hmm. You're like, I can learn from him on that, sure. This is a pagan person going, Hey, I'm, I'm taking, yeah, right. I
1: I took my kids to their uh, thing last summer. They're kind of, what'll be some version of our fun after four. Right. And we got in the car and they said, can we come back here next week? And I went, no, but I need to learn whatever that experience was. We could learn from that experience.
0: Yeah. There's, there's legitimate insight into something. Sure. Just like Balaam has legitimate insight into something. Yeah. And, and that's where I think even whether it's reading sociology or psychology or biology or all these various forms of disciplines, mathematics, there's a reality that we can go, I can learn from these people on this or on that, yeah. but I shouldn't learn from these people on, on that or on that. And I think yeah. that's where the discernment in community comes into play. Yeah. And, and like, there's, there's so many theologians that you and I will even quote or cite or reference or read. Like, I think, um, like N.T. Wright is a great one. Like, I think he's mm-hmm. an excellent theologian. Sure. Better than most, top shelf, but there's a core theological issue that I really care about, penal substitutionary atonement. hmm that he disagrees with us on, mm-hmm. and I don't care how many PhDs someone has, I'm going, I'm going. we're not learning from him on that, right? Uh-huh. Like there's, there's other- It's
1: interesting that you bring him up too though, cause like when I quote him on Sundays, I don't know that you do this, but when I quote him, he, he goes by Tom Wright or N.T. Wright. Well, people that have never read a thing by N.T. Wright, but have heard that he's not great on penal substitution atonement and have written him off, all know him as N.T. Wright. Yeah. So if I quote him, I quote him as, oh, Tom, Tommy as Tom Wright. Wright. <laughs> Because I know that those people who don't actually, you know, they, they don't, they don't know the difference. Um, so and, so, and here's so the difference it's like, should I go, Hey, I'm going to quote N.T. Wright. And there's great things to learn from him about. And there's other things you shouldn't learn from him about. And I'm going to explain all that in my sermon. Or should I just call him Tom Wright and those people know the difference, or do I just call him N.T. Wright and let everyone else live in that tension? And I mean, this—that's more of a leadership question. Yeah, and,
0: and I and I think this is kind of where I get back to this: uh, is if you re- solve and eliminate all the tension on this, yeah, then you've written people off you shouldn't have written off, or you have hook, line, and sinker decided to be dragged by someone that you shouldn't be totally be dragged, bro. Sure. Like there's there's just really nobody who's right on everything. And there's nobody who's wrong on everything. Yeah. And so anytime you're learning from anybody about anything, there's going to be some measure of you have to chew the meat and spit out the bones without exception. That's true for me. That's true with you. And hopefully it's true for us in lesser degree than it is for like Michelle Foucault pedophile, you know, and, sure. and I'm pretty confident it is. So that, that, that's the whole process that I think is important is that we have to recognize that nobody in our view should be right about everything. Mm-hmm. And if there's anybody in our view that we think is right about everything besides Christ, we're in a dangerous position of giving too much authority to someone yeah. that we sh- doesn't belong to them. Like I hear folks talk about certain people out in the world, and it's like, if they said it, then I believe it. Mm-hmm. And that should be true for one person only, God. If he said it, I believe it. Yeah, so, sure. But it's not like, if Mark Driscoll said it, I believe it. Not true. It's not true for John MacArthur. It's not true for Tim Keller. It's not true for N.T. Wright. It's not true for... Seth Trout. Seth looks Trout, a, not true. Like King and Culture Podcast. Yeah, I want. I feel like there has to be, like, the only person that it's like, if they said it, I believe it, is God. Yeah. Everybody else, there's some mixture of yes and no. Like, we're everyone yeah. else. Every human's a mixed bag.
1: So, so I, I can imagine some people listen to this, um, and I talk to people who listen to this, and some of them have said, you know, I trust you guys. You know, I, I know you're not perfect, and I don't see everything, but I but I trust you. And I can imagine someone hearing this going like, oh gosh, this is so frustrating and overwhelming because now it feels like you're telling me I got to watch everything, I got to read everything, I got to know everything and I got to discern it all and that just sounds like a lot of work and I don't have that much time and I don't, and I don't know if I have that much experience and I don't have that much training and how do I, like, just feels overwhelming. I kind of want some, someone to like, curate some stuff for me and go, hey, learn this from this person, this from this person. So, so talk to that kind of you know someone that's like they don't have a doctorate and all this stuff and they they don't have a you know degree in philosophy and they don't have the kind of luxury or expectation to have read all these different things um how how do they discern what should i even like i have a limited amount of time what should i read what should i listen to who should i learn from who could i learn from but you know what given my limited resources this is just not a great use of my time to pick through foucault or whatever like
0: yeah not foucault how do I'll I, tell you that much how do i
1: i mean what do i do with that other cuz i don't want to feel overwhelmed by okay i got to learn for everything
0: now so so here's my hope is that mostly as people are at work or at school or interacting with neighbors that when someone brings up something they learned we don't get all triggered by it and go like but did a christian write it hmm Right, that we go like, oh, interesting, tell me more. That there's like an openness or a receptivity or even like a potential hospitality towards new or challenging ideas that we go like, God's got me, I'm in his hand, nobody can take me out of his hand, John 14. And so I'm okay with being challenged or even feeling some tension around certain things that I'm going to read and listen to them and and check that out. And and so like, uh, for example, you know, we're probably training the trout house and, you know, Taylor I read this book, potty training three days or something like that. But did a Christian yeah. write it? Yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> going, I didn't be like, well, she, how is she on the apostles creed? You know? And, and I'm sure some is Christian, she a Calvinist. Yeah. I'm sure some Christian can write some really thoughtful, navel gazing, analytic view about how the Lord, uh, you know, potty trains us and he deals with our messes, you know, and blah, <laughs> sure. blah, blah, blah. And get overly spiritualistic and infuse all sure. types of meaning and ways. That you're like, I'm just wanting to get him to go in the potty, not uh-huh. in his pants, you know? And, but it's like, Hey, guess what? It was helpful. And it was on Kindle Unlimited, so done. You know, so there's yeah. there's that. There's also, like, this guy named Nassim Taleb that I like to read mostly because he's, like, totally out of the box. He's, he's a Greek Orthodox, uh, but I'm I'm not sure how sold he is on actually thinking about Christianity. It seems more like his, like, kind of main test on something's true or not is whether something endured. And I don't want anybody to be a Christian because it's been around a long time. That's not the greatest argument. Yeah, sure. You know, but... I think for him, he's like, he only drinks wine and coffee because that's been around a long time. And he's like, and I'm a Greek Orthodox because that's been around a long time. <laughs> and I'm going, that's not, I think, what the Bible talks about being born again exactly. It's, yeah, sure. It's been around a while and it's mostly been beneficial. So why hold on to it? So on economics and systems and worldview and stuff, like I like to read him because he's challenging and confronting. I'm not going to go to him to be theologically or morally formed. Uh-huh. But in terms of like public policy, process, economics, it's... It's interesting to me. And so
1: you're saying like, that's something you enjoy reading. You enjoy, he stimulates your thinking. You're not here saying, and everyone should go out and get all of his books. No. Someone listening might go, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to read that.
0: Yeah, even even like a bunch of my non-Christian friends read a guy named Jocko Willink. Mm -hmm. You know, extreme ownership, dichotomy of leadership, those types of stuff. And he's a Navy SEAL who's basically appropriating leadership concepts from military to like business management. Sure. And some of that stuff I read and it's just insightful, it's wise. Like I think about when, and, uh, Uh, they're writing the Proverbs, Mm -hmm. Solomon or whoever it was. And Paul, they're talking about work ethic. And Solomon goes, consider the ants. And he's like, all on his hands and knees, watching ants, and they're just going, 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 Mm -hmm. going. And this is like the scriptures, the Proverbs. That's like part of like the common grace or general revelation is that you don't necessarily have to be committed to the Lord to learn from the Lord's creation Mm -hmm. to gain insight from it. Like just like, Solomon looks at the ants and learns lessons about work ethic. I think Christians can look at Navy SEALs and learn lessons about mm-hmm. leadership in hostile environments. Like that's, that's totally possible. Yeah. And so some of that, even like the reason I read Jock Willink is partially to connect with my non-Christian friends, to have a bridge, to say, like, hey, let's learn together on something, mm-hmm. to a little bit model or reveal, like, hey, I'm not threatened by new ideas. Maybe you wouldn't be threatened by new ideas, too, like possibly Christianity. Like, let's learn sure. to that together. There's like a learning together w- thing. What
1: about, like, because this this has come up in the last few years, right? There's all, all the um, controversies surrounding uh, justice, social justice, uh, racial equality, you know wokeness, all that sort of stuff. I think about, like, uh, I think of someone like Eric Mason. Eric Mason, who's a pastor, theologically trained. I think he went to Dallas Seminary. Um, I mean, has a very kind of historic, historic orthodox view of the Bible and of Christianity, whatever. But he wrote a book, I haven't read it, called Woke Church. Um, I don't know exactly what he argues for, but I know a bunch of people would go, he wrote a book called that?
0: Canceled. Not going to read
1: it. <laughs> Nothing yeah. to learn there. But you know what? I got a lot to learn from Dennis Prager, who's a Jew who rejects that Jesus was the son of God. The less offensive who, term
0: is he is Jewish, by the way. Oh,
1: he is Jewish. Sorry. Sorry, Dennis. But anyway, you know, I a lot of people, say, hey, here, have you watched this Prager U View video? And so I want to go, okay. Or Ben Shapiro, same thing. Yeah, whatever. And I go like, okay, we're saying, okay, I'm not, I don't want to go with genetic fallacy. What well, came from, a person who is Jewish, uh, <laughs> so I can't learn from them. But how how do you how do you rank those? Like it, like how do you take those? Like like because generally I would go, okay, you can learn from this a Jewish person who denies Christianity, or you can learn from this seminary trained Orthodox pastor. Who would be better to learn from? And a lot of people would go, oh well. A lot of Christians would go, oh well, the seminary trained Orthodox believing pastor. But it's like, well, but not on that. Yeah. And and maybe you shouldn't listen. I'm not saying you should listen to Eric Mason on that. I don't know. But but going like how do you how do you discern that? How do you weigh that?
0: Well, I think part one of the things we have to be really honest with ourselves on is asking the question, why am I reading this? Because or why am I watching this video? Because most of the time, most people are tra- engaging in any so-called learning what they're really doing is you know, of throwing meat to their confirmation bias. Yeah, sure when someone shares a Dennis Prager video, they're mostly not saying, wow, this was challenging to my thinking and really reoriented my perspective on things. They're going like, yeah, he says what I think. Send. Send. And it's similar with some of the woke church stuff, like there, or that type of stuff. Most people are not reading or learning in order to be challenged. They're reading or learning in order to be confirmed in their presuppositions. And so one of the questions I ask before reading something is why am I reading this? Am hmm. I reading this to go, to have my well deepened where it already exists, you know. I'm reading Reformed Ethics by Herman Bovink. I'm pretty sure he agrees with me on basically everything. He's just deeper, more solid, more mm-hmm. thoughtful, sure, more well-rounded. And from time to time, I'll be challenged on a particular, but generally speaking, I'm going to read his chapter on Thou shalt not kill, and I'm not going to like, oh, I don't know, you know, yeah. this is really confronting my presuppositions. I'm mostly just going deeper in my presuppositions, and yeah. he's taking me into a more mature understanding of what I already believe. And there's other folks I read that I'm like, I'm kind of reading this in order to be challenged, to be pushed, to be pulled, to have my perspective wrestled with. Like I read this book last summer called Word Slut, which is okay. a, a book length argument for the singular they, why should we call trans people okay. they or non married people they. And I'm not reading that to be confirmed in my presuppositions. And I'm not really reading that to like maybe have my mind changed. I'm reading that to go. I really want to learn.
1: Are you reading that for ammo? Like, let me let me read this so I can, so I can get a lot of juicy quotes about how stupid this thing is. Or
0: you know, I'm gonna be very honest right now. It was sixty percent. I really want to understand where they're coming from, and forty percent. I'm gonna get ammo out of this thing. Okay. Because I think it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, so so sure. there, but there's like this. But I
1: appreciate the ability to be honest about that.
0: Yeah, there's a sense in which like I would really like to be genuinely curious about understanding other people's worldviews, yeah. where they're coming from. Because part of what you see in Balaam and even his donkey is there's a degree of reasonableness mm-hmm. in these pagans who are antithetical to the purposes of God. And God. so what is the degree of reasonableness? Right. And so there's some great points this lady makes. Like, you know, in some cultures there isn't like gendered pronouns there's mm-hmm. just generic pronouns everywhere and so english is obsessed with you blah blah and so yeah. like oh that's fair like in this random language in sub-saharan africa there aren't gendered pronouns and so maybe we could not have gender- and like oh that is like you kind of see how you read your you experience the world through the language of your own deal but then like the whole like kind of thrust of it is gender is a social construct which i just fundamentally disagree yeah. with and so trying to like s- seek out the degree of reasonableness be challenged uh understand someone else's mm-hmm. worldview. And to go, like, as I'm reading it, like, Lord, help me hold tight to the scriptures and help me, like, be genuinely open to the possibility of really learning something from this. Mm-hmm. And and then also there's being this part of me that's like, I want to be able to say that I read this book so that when I talk to non-Christians, like, oh, yeah, I read the book and here's why it's dumb. like yeah. So there's there's an aspect of, like, research ammunition that's yeah. in there. And so it, I have mixed motivations in some of that. And I think that's true for all of us when we read most books, yeah. right? There's... Um, well,
1: some of the like, hey, don't read that. Don't, don't listen to them. Some of it maybe comes out of sort of tri- tribalization. But I think some of it, especially from from pastors, if I, give, if I try to give the benefit of the doubt, I go, it's a desire to protect people from error. Right, That's one of the qualifications of an elder in Titus 1 is that you should be able to teach sound doctrine and refute error. And so some of it's going like, what? you have a limited amount of time. You have a li- Why would you spend time ingesting error? and having to discern it. Um, And so I appreciate that heart actually. And I think about, um, so I'm I'm curious if you kind of put on your like protective shepherd hat and someone's like, Hey, I'm exploring the faith or I'm new to the faith. I've just become a Christian. Um, Would you have some kind of guidance for going like, Hey, before you, you know, go, go into the deep pool of all these other controversial things, like do this first, do this instead. Here's kind of the place you have to be at to be able to actually learn from these other people.
0: Yeah, part part of it is my own is recognition of my own personality that I feel like the best way to get me to read something is to tell me that I shouldn't read it and be harmful to me, right? <laughs> that, don't read that. That'll mess you up. I'm like, well, we'll see about that. You know, and I can remember back to middle school, some uh, teacher at like some summer camp or whatever was like. Everyone needs to read the Bible, but I was born. Well, it was actually part of it. That, like as a middle school boy, probably shouldn't read. It. It's called Song of Songs. I would not read that until you're older. And guess what I did during that free night. time. <laughs> guess what I did during free time that How day. How to get you into the Bible? <laughs> yeah, I was like, that was the best pitch I've ever heard for someone to read the Bible. Is, sure. Don't read this. There's the word breast in it, and I just remember as a you know twelve year old reading Song of Songs, been like, I cannot believe this book that I've experiencing as boring for the last 10 years <laughs> is actually sure crazy interesting surprise surprise and it's like it is, so that's probably something that's semi-unique to the pubescent season but i do think that there's a piece of me that when people are feeling threatened by something or uh, i want to i want to be the person who's going to demonstrate people this is not threatening and yeah. like I, when i was a philosophy major so many people are like don't be a philosophy major you'll ruin your face and i'm like well, we'll see about that and so i've I personally experience those things as a challenge. Yeah, but, but it, as I, a philosophy major,
1: you were fairly already grounded in your faith.
0: Yes. And that's why, so people just saying, don't read this. But for someone who's a new Christian, so in the incubation period, like I do think that there's this reality that, uh, like if you understand the like the way we grow up in maturity is similar, like there's just like infants, like Olivia, I'm not giving her any say in what she eats. Mm-hmm. Like she, it's milk, right? And it's it's formula and it's this kind and I buy it for you and there's no say. Yeah. And it's the same with Jay to some degree. Like we have a pantry, but he can only pick what I put in the pantry. Sure. Right? He can pick, does he want this or does he want that within the pantry? But I've curated the pantry mm-hmm. with Taylor. I mean, Taylor's curated the pantry with me probably. But with, but there's, there's like childlikeness that's, I'm not going to trust him and say, go to the grocery store, buy whatever you want. And that's what you eat the next month. And so I do think there's degrees of this, but as you're an adult, like if I went to you, Luke, and was like, hey, Luke, you said um, you're really looking at uh, like food choices. Mm-hmm. I would not be like, do not go to fries; They sell some bad things there, you know, because <laughs> sure. you know, it's like you can't treat adults like that. That's not that's yeah. not helpful. Like you're, you're going to go down the alcohol aisle, but a, a, an entire cart full of wine and be like, there's my calories for the next week, you know, and and you're sure. going to come back with only wine and drink only wine. It's like uh it doesn't work when you're treating adults like that. So yeah, I do think when you're talking to like spiritually relatively mature people who are solidly committed to like historic Christian teaching and they understand the gospel of Jesus, that it's like, I feel like telling people to wholesale, not read certain things is actually a problem And it creates this tribalistic kind of cultish type thing that's telling people we can't learn from people and people are dangerous and they're out there to Mm -hmm. lead you astray where it's like, hey, we can learn something from anybody if it's an important message. For newer Christians, I'm going to say here are some people that I think are worth following. Yeah. More so than they're worth not following. Like I want someone to be able to read like John Piper Desiring God and I'm not going to give them 16 warnings. I'm going to say read this. Mm -hmm. Put it in your heart. It's good. Yeah. I'm going to give them Prado God by Tim Keller and say let this shape your heart. Like, uh, I'm going to get, tell them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John better than even those other two books by sure. a lot. Right. Submit. To well, I do,
1: th- I do think there is a kind of, um, I think Paul, maybe it's in second Timothy talks about people who have an unhealthy craving for controversy. And, um, I think there's a little bit of that in us and a lot of the culture flames that in us. And there is a sense in which you go like, Hey, probably all of us could read our Bible more. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and probably all of us could, um, you know, feed our souls on some things that are really hardy and not just kind of cotton candy. And, and I do think there is an element of going like, I do want to be able to learn from people, um, who don't believe what I believe people who wildly disagree with me. I also don't feel like the main diet of what I want to be learning is that, um, you know, I think about when I was in high school, I was in this Bible study with some guys. I don't think I was actually even converted yet, but um, it was an ignorance on fire Bible study. We would just talk about whatever we thought about whatever. And it was at this guy's house and his His dad had, a, I think, multiple master's degrees and multiple PhDs. He was uh, more degrees than Fahrenheit and was real smart and godly guy. And he would sit in the basement where I know he could hear what we were talking about. And he never, ever came up and interrupted, except one time we got talking about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and other things. And he just kind of came up the stairs, leaned over the railing and said, guys, the only way to recognize a counterfeit is to know the real thing. And he walked down. And I think about all the things he heard that he never came up and was like, you guys are idiots, (laughs) you know, but that was one where he was like, if if you're going to know the if you're going to know the, the fake stuff, you got to know the real stuff. And so I do think like all of our ability to discern, to eat fish and spit out the bones comes from knowing what fish tastes like, <laughs> knowing what the meat is, knowing what's the truth. And so I do think there's a, maybe a good warning for us there.
0: Yeah. I think that we, there are some things we should only learn from some people. And this is where I think GK Cheston talks about how a uh, tradition is the democracy of the dead, mm-hmm. right? That democracy is giving people votes regardless of their social or economic status, democracy of the dead is giving people votes regardless of their status of being alive or not. Sure. And so there's this, like within the, the work of God and God's people throughout history underneath the scriptures, there's certain things we should, that we should care what they, people say more than other people. Yeah. And there's something we should learn from everybody, but the other thing I hope people listening feel free is that you don't have to learn something about everything. Sure. That be, The fact that something's, a controversy you even buying into it as a controversy is ad populum going huh. the belief that I have to have a belief about this and I need to go public with it is a oftentimes a false belief hmm. that, that's yeah. going, how many people, you know, how many verses are there about justice? Hundreds. I think I've heard 600 maybe that use the word mishpat or justice or those types of things. And how many people like felt this pressure to go public with their view of and like have done basically no work and, <laughs> sure. Like, like, are you a legislator? Are you responsible for enacting policy? Uh, and, but yet there's like this, this pressure that everyone felt to like, I have to, yeah. go so, and even just recognizing the different process of those things. Like I hope people feel that there's certain views that you have to go public with. Yep. Like, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all Jesus crucified and mm-hmm. risen. And there's other views that you don't have to go public with maybe because you don't trust your opinion on it yet. Yeah. Which is fine. And other views you don't have to have a view on. Yep. And I hope, people feel free to do that as well
1: yeah well that's good that's a good place i think to stop so hopefully this uh, conversation has been helpful for you guys and yeah i mean i hope you listen to what we do with discernment too i trust that you do and um yeah thanks for listening Sethany. last uh words no awesome all right well thanks everybody we'll see you next time